Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. So we will start right on off with add Adel Bell, add Adel Eibel. I would love to do your next online yoga teacher training, only I wonder if it's possible with job and kids and whatnot. So right now I'm running a 200 hour online lit yoga teacher training. We are in, um, we are over halfway through it. It is amazing. It is kind of beyond what I even expected uh, an online program could be. And there are many people in it who are already certified who also have a job and kids. And so they would be able to answer this a lot more than I would. But it is set up that there are, it's 10 week program and there's two weeks in this middle. So it's five weeks and then there's a two week break and then it's five weeks. Each week has a specific class that goes for, um, that is an hour long class and you're encouraged to do it at least three times and start to learn how to teach parts of it or all of it or modify. But it's, it's um, you receive 10 flows that are kind of rubber stamp approved by me. They're lit flows for you to be able to use in your own teaching. And so from the beginning, you're practicing, you're teaching, you're practicing teaching, and then you're learning um, for each week kind of the theme of the week and the functional anatomy, terminology and physiology, the understanding of the body, poses, philosophy. It's a lot. It is a lot, but people are doing it and they're managing it. We have... um, five hours of Zoom calls as well with question and answers. And you don't have to be in in on all those, but they are recorded. You can send in questions ahead of time. 
And there's then there's an extra month after the 10 weeks is over with to finish up all the work. And the finishing up of the work is just doing the weeks. And there's a quiz at the end of every week, which is just 10 questions, just to make sure that it's an assessment. So I would say, yes, you can absolutely do it. The good news is it's also yours for lifetime. So say you started it and like you got a big job uh, responsibility that just was going to take up too much of your time. You can join in the next time it goes around. So it's a very, it's made to be fluid if you need it or very structured if you need that. So that would be the answer. Sorry, I botched your name there. Adel Abel. Abel. <laughs> okay, your sacred light. Movement for skiers and ski instructors, especially knees. Well, I have worked with some very professional skiers and the biggest thing that skiers need is stable hips and of course, strong quads and hamstrings, which you're usually going to be getting, but, but really stable hips that will govern the knees are so important. So good squats, really good squats. And I would say you have to have someone, and and you certainly can send me a video uh, of you squatting and I can, I can analyze it, or you can go to one of my um, upcoming lit yoga certified teachers because we'll have a lit directory and you can have them on analyze it because we spend a lot of time analyzing posture and then analyzing squats because how you stand will very much govern how you're skiing. So for instance, skiing, of course, will, will kind of lock you a little bit more in position than say a free, uh, a free squat that you would do at the gym or on the yoga mat, but you will still have fundamentally the same principles. You need to hinge at the hips. You need to have an active core. You need to have a neutral spine. And then that will offset a lot of the load on your knees. Your knees are still going to have some shock absorption uh, from going down the hills, from going over moguls and things like that. So the best thing you can do is strengthen your hips, strengthen your core, and then strengthen your legs. It's a lot of demand because you're going at possibly some you know really strong or uh, high forces because you're going fast. But if you solidify those proximal muscles, meaning muscles closer to the core, you will be much more uh, efficient and effective in the knee joint. Fru Whiting Hoff asked me, yoga for runners. So I've been asked this a lot and I do have on my Lit Daily yoga platform um, hundreds of classes and there are some really good ones on there for runners. So I would really just say, go over there and try some out. There's a week-long free trial and there's a yoga for athletes series, which is specific for people who are doing repetitive exercise like running. So running is you're repetitively flexing your hips and knees and going in one direction, sagittal plane. So you need to, instead of just like countering that, which people think, oh, stretch your hamstrings, stretch your calves. You need to do much more than that. Actually, you need to move in a variety of ways that pull the tissues that surround the joint in different ways than they are pulled when you're just doing running or biking or whatnot. So even though you're flexing a lot in running, you aren't flexing, say, from taking a step to the side. Like if your feet were together and go step your right foot out to the right and sit back into a squat and then step the right foot next to the left, you aren't doing that direction of movement. And that is really, so those type of things, so it doesn't mean because you flex your hip and running, you shouldn't flex it 
in yoga. You're actually going to need to flex it well in yoga so that it carries over in your running. But then you need to move in a variety of planes, up and down, side to side, left and right. So I would say go and um, check that out and you'll see that there's a lot of specific movements, rotation of the thoracic spine, flexion of the hip with an elon, you know, with a lengthened spine, down dog and down dog maneuvers where you're opening the back fascial line, side lunges where you're doing lateral movements. All of those are really, really important for runners or bikers or any, you know, anyone. I do this with the skiers that I work with too, because they're in one plane doing the same action over and over again. Next question, Ariel delights. Beside puppy pose, any other firm no-nos from traditionally popular shoulder stretches? So aerial delights is referring to the puppy pose where it's similar to child's pose, but it's kind of a combination of down dog and child's pose. So your knees are on the ground, your hands are like in a down dog shape on the ground, and then you just sink into your chest to really open up the shoulder. And that's a big no-no. I just don't like that. Any other traditional popular shoulder stretches that I don't like? Well, I'm not a big fan of binding the shoulders. Why? Because it's static. It's a passive shoulder range of motion. So binding, for those of you who aren't sure about what I mean by yoga poses, you probably have seen people when they like thread their arm under their thigh and the other arm comes around their back and then they try and attach their hands. It's not that I don't ever do it. I just don't even think I teach that anymore. I used to teach it. I used to do it. And what I found is it is it is putting the shoulder in a compromised or vulnerable vulnerable position and in a position where most people cannot keep it in a safe alignment and then adding the pull of their own hands if they if they are able to get their hands together. And then they're kind of locked in a position at their glenohumeral joint and rotating the, the rib cage. So it's like really pulling on the, the front of the shoulder in a way that I don't think is functionally valuable. And I don't think that it's mechanically a good idea. So I'm not a big binder anymore. I can still do it. Um, I don't teach it and I rarely practice it myself. So I wouldn't say it's a firm no-no, but I would always say, does it really, does it enhance the experience in the pose? And for 95% of the people, I would say, no, it does not enhance the experience. They have to lose the form of whatever they were in to attempt to bind. And in that binding, they're usually flexing at their, in their spine. They're probably compromising the shoulder joint. And so I'd say that's probably the, the only other big one I can think of right now. Yeah, I think binds are something you want to be very, very aware of. Now, you also ask, Ariel Delights, what drills would you recommend for increasing shoulder mobility and flexibility, especially for a flipped grip? So I can tell you want to go into those big... So a flipped grip is is when you are really externally rotating the glenohumeral joint and flexing it dramatically to be able to get your hand all the way around to face down. and then possibly have the other hand to meet it or meet a strap or something like that. Um, first of all, to ever anytime you want to get more shoulder mobility, you need to get a scapula mobility, thoracic extension, 
thoracic extension is hugely important. You can't really attempt to acquire a good, healthy shoulder range of motion if you don't have a nice, neutral thoracic spine and then the ability to extend it more without pushing your ribs forward. So what I mean by that is for a lot of people, they're living in a little bit of a slouched position where they're rounded shoulders. So that would be a flexed, a more flexed thoracic spine. And the thoracic spine has, compared to the lumbar spine, it has kyphosis, which is rounding away from the the spine, uh, the center of the body. But you still don't want to, you still want to if you're going to get extension, you want it to come from lifting up. Like think about opening up the space between your ribs versus just pushing your ribs forward to get that um, thoracic extension. So you need space between the ribs. You need that opening there to really work the shoulder range of motion. And working it is just going to be daily. I don't think, I'm not a big fan of, of passive stretches for the shoulders think you should mobilize, mobilize the joint. Um, Like the uh, alternative shoulder rolls are great. Then you can do arm swings where you're getting thoracic rotation, which also needs to be very free for good mobilization at the shoulder. So I would look again on my lit daily at the shoulder series. And I'm always adding more things on there. I have actually an 11 minute T-spine mobility class that I've just recently added in the in the 11 minute power series. So I think think less about shoulder stretch and just think more about shoulder mobility and thoracic mobility and then you will be surprised without actually endeavoring to stretch the shoulder you'll open it up much more than you would have with static stretching. Okay, Grace K29 ask what's the best way to realign after wearing heels for work every day? Oh, well, I guess I can't ask you, Grace, if you can wear something different than heels because it's hard if you're wearing heels every day to undo that. You know, if you're spending eight hours a day in heels, um, it's hard. That's really, that's hard to undo. So I'm going to really challenge you on that and say, can you wear something besides heels? And of course you can, because if you're in a job where they're making you wear heels, then that's not a job you want to be in. And I mean that because that's, I mean, is everyone wearing heels or are men wearing heels? So why are we wearing heels? So that would be my first thing. In the meantime, what I would say is practice getting if getting your feet. So the first stage might be like, oh, Laura, I have to wear heels. It's just, I feel better in heels. Okay. Say that to yourself for a while and then start talking differently. But in the meantime, being realistic, if we were to take steps, Bring shoes, A, to walk around in that are different than heels, and B, take your shoes off when you can, like especially if you're, you know, being able to hide them under a desk, uh, because I know that's, not that you need to hide them, but I know that's going to probably make you feel better. And then move your toes, spread, actively spread your toes. So you're getting that fascia between the toes and under the toes and the in the bottom of your foot, the plantar surface of the foot, get them open, open, open. Why? Because when that all of those tissues become um, squished together, which they often do in a heel, because the heels usually take you from a wider heel to a um, tinier toe box, and that is the problem. 
and they're also angling you more. So all that pressure is going down into the met heads, which is the ball of the foot. You're going into a tinier base of support that has been bound. So it's like, think of the, the, the tradition of binding a feet. You're essentially doing that in most heels because of the angle. Sometimes if you have a wider toe box, that is better. For, I mean, it is better, but that is that is less of the case. But probably everyone that's in, in heels or in shoes in general needs to get their feet out and think of them breathing like lungs, like open up, spread the toes, open the base, rub on the sole of the foot, like the plantar surface at those med heads, and you will feel how tender they get. And probably the more tender they are, the the you know, the quicker you need to get out of those high heels. So I hope that helps you. I mean, really undoing them is just not wearing them or at least taking them off many, many times during the day, spreading the toes, rocking back on your heels, spreading the toes and walking around barefoot um, when you get home. I hope that helps. I don't mean to lecture you, but I can tell you from working with people with foot feet issues that once once those feet start to really, they deform, they deform uh, if you're putting them in high heels every day, once they deform in the form of like a bunion and things like that, and all that fascia becomes very bound, it's very difficult to start changing it. It's still possible, but when your foot is is deformed in some way, it it has such an impact up the chain in in how you can balance and how you can strengthen your core, how you can strengthen your glutes, um, the impact it has on your knee. Your ankle range of motion is affected. It's a big, it's a big deal. So there's my, I'm going to end on that note. Free your feet. Thank you for writing your questions. Always feel free to write more at, to, at Laura at movementbylara.com for the Wednesday Q&A. And I'm always pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.